0: If you have a Bible, may I encourage you to join me in Exodus chapter number 35. Exodus chapter number 35. If this is your first time with us, or maybe the first time in a a long time, we've been focusing our attention for the last many weeks on the Ten Commandments. And this is going to be the, the final message in this little portion we're going to spend a few weeks uh, moving our attention to Christmas and the theme the king has come over the next few weeks. And then uh, as the Lord allows in the, the beginning of the months of the beginning weeks of January, we'll turn our attention to the book of Deuteronomy. But we've seen for these number of weeks that the Lord has desired one thing through these 10 commandments, and that is to, to start a covenant relationship with his people. He has delivered his nation, Israel, from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And what we have to understand is he was not taking them from one set of bondage to another set of bondage under a set of rules. He was bringing freedom to them and asking them over and over, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. Just, we have to keep in mind, so similar to a bride and groom standing where a bride will say, or a groom will say, I want to be your husband, I want you to be my wife. And the wife responds, I want to be your wife and I want you to be my husband. That's what Yahweh continued to say, I want to be your God, I want you to be my people. But a few Sundays ago, if you were with us, we saw that Israel, this new bride, failed her very first test of the covenant relationship while Moses was at the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days. Israel, the bride, turned to worship a golden calf. And when Moses saw this, he took that covenant and what it represented and he threw it to the ground, displaying the breaking of the covenant that Israel was performing is exactly what was played out in the breaking of those Two tablets of stone. And then Moses went to Yahweh who had said, you know what, just go on without me. And he said, no, 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 that's, that's not what this is about. It's not about a land, it's about a person. If your presence doesn't go, we're not going to go because Moses understood the covenant relationship that Yahweh was seeking And then for these past two weeks, we've spent a good deal of time looking at the tabernacle where when Yahweh said, I will go with you, he needed a place to dwell amongst his people. And I love what Jared, if you were here last Sunday, what Jared had to share about the tabernacle was absolutely amazing, giving us a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. One thing he said last week that really uh, caught me was he said nearly 75 chapters in the Bible talk about the creation of the tabernacle or the temple. Now, I realize for most of you, you hear that and you're like, so? I want you to think about this. There are only two chapters in the Bible that talk about the creation of the world. Those two chapters total 56 verses. Fifty-six verses tell us about the creation of the world, and we have 75 chapters that talk about the creation of a tabernacle. That just seems way off. Except I really believe God's trying to get our attention. I think there's so many cool things about it. And I just have to tell you two that stand out to me. One, I think this is true. The first two chapters of Genesis are meant to reveal more about the creator than about creation. There's, there's books and books and books and books written about creation taken from two chapters of the Bible. Do you really think that's everything God wanted us? To know and put all of our attention and time into that, how the world was created? Or do you, do you think God was saying, I want you to know who created the world? I mean, we find details in the tabernacle about the tassels that hung from a rod in, in, in the, that carried the Ark of the Covenant, a tassel. We find details about a tassel. And all we read about the creation of the world is, and God spoke, and then it was, it was there. What do, you think that, what do you think he wants us to know? I think he wants us to go run to a, a chapter like Psalm 121 that says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Like when I am in need, I know where to look to. I look to the God who spoke the world into existence. If he could create the galaxies, I think he could handle my problem. I don't really know that it's all about creation as much as it is about the creator. Two chapters. But I love the fact, the second thing that really stands out to me is that I love how the word places a greater emphasis on how God wants to work with us rather than for us. It's almost as if, it's almost as if God is saying, Yeah, let me tell you, let me take two chapters and tell you how I made the world. I did this. But let me take 75 chapters and tell you how we're gonna work together. We're gonna, I'm gonna give you the materials. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to give you the instructions. And we're going to do this together. I mean, you got to think about it, right? If he could, if he could speak the galaxies into place in six days, how long do you think it would take him to speak a tent into existence? But it wasn't about the tent being there. It was about Yahweh working with his people together just as he wants to work in our lives. He wants to be a part of your life. The creator of the world wants to partner with you. I see that's incredible. But it just keeps going back to this relationship. Now, we don't worship a God who, who keeps his distance from us and only allows us to come close to him when we have reached his level of perfection. No, no, no. See, we, have, we worship a God who left perfection to come into our mess, and he showed up to say, I want to be with you so that I can offer you an eternal relationship with me. Like, Man, what a, what a God we have. As we walk through the scriptures today, we're just going to really celebrate his character. But Because what I never want us to forget is we don't have to wait until we're worthy to come to Jesus. Right? He came to us. And when we come to him, he makes us worthy. Every other God in the world says, you have to earn your way to me. Our God came to us and invites us. I just absolutely love that. Now, if you're with us a couple of weeks ago, we, we started looking at at, uh, at the instructions for the tabernacle. And I know you say that's so boring. And I, and I get it. It's really there's really not a lot of excitement there, but there's there's something that I remember standing out and sharing with you that, that when when Moses went to the top of the mountain, the very first thing Yahweh says to Moses is, We're gonna take an offering. You may not remember this, but in Exodus chapter 25, you don't need to turn there, just just these two verses. This is the very first thing that that, uh, Yahweh says to Moses when he talks about the instructions for the tabernacle. Hey, we're going to take an offering. Now we're in Exodus 35. It is at least 80 days after Moses receives this, because he's been on the mountain twice for 40 days, received the tablets twice. They've had the golden calf incident. And now Moses comes down and he gathers all the people together. And now he's going to begin to explain to them everything he's heard at the top of the mountain. The people do not know. Moses is going to bring down the instructions that Yahweh is going to dwell in our midst. Now remember, the first thing Yahweh tells Moses is take up an offering. So what do you expect the first thing Moses tells the people? And if you say, well, he's going to talk about the offering, you're wrong. Because again, we're going, to see into glimpse, we're going to get a glimpse into the character of our God. Look at Exodus chapter 35, verse number 1, if you have it. Exodus chapter 35, verse 1. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things Yahweh has commanded you to do. For six days, work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. Now, I know you're like, man, so he's going to talk about dying? Oh, we, no, no, no. The death just shows you how serious Yahweh is about rest like i think this is just absolutely amazing and giving us this window into who yahweh is because before he asks for an offering from the people he's offering rest to the people hey you're going to go to work We're, we have what we have a we have a job to do we, we have a building to prepare, but here's what I want you to know. In the work, I am promising you rest. It's the first thing on the blueprint. I just love how this, again, reveals the character of God. He doesn't start by, by giving this list of demands from the people. He, he tells the people what they can expect from him before he asks that, before he asks for what they have, he shows them who he is. And the same thing is true for us today as disciples of Jesus. Right? We don't give. We don't give because, like, Jesus has something that we need. We give as a way to reflect who Jesus is. I know in many, in many churches they would pass an offering plate around. Our church doesn't do that. There's offering boxes on the walls in the hallway. Do you know why those offering boxes are there? Here's what I'll tell you not because you have something that God needs. You remember He spoke the worlds into existence with His voice? There's not a thing we have that He needs. So then why in the world, why in the world does our God desire his people to gather and to give? Because when we give, we reflect his character. He is a God of generosity. He's a God and, and, and the world wants to paint this picture of a, of a man named Santa Claus as a as a jolly, happy man who laughs with a bowl full of jelly. Wait, no, his belly is like a bowl full of jelly. Who laughs as he hands out gifts to people? Hey, where do you think they get the idea of a joyful person handing out gifts to people he loves? That's our God. That's who he is. And he wants his people to reflect his character. Listen, we all know what's about to happen in our lives. We're going to enter one of the busiest seasons, one of the most wonderful times of the year, but you also know one of the busiest seasons of the year. we got to think about why. Like, as Christians, what are we celebrating we're celebrating that the one who created the world stepped into his creation. And the one who breathed the breath of life into humanity is going to lose his life at the hands of humanity. But in coming to this earth, his incarnation, and by going to the crucifixion, and then by suffering through the, uh, the, his burial, and then coming out with the resurrection, and then going back to heaven in the ascension, and sitting on the throne of God, we have the opportunity for eternal life with that creator. That's what we get to celebrate. But do you know how many, what many Christians are going to say? in just a couple of weeks. (sighs) I'm so glad that's over. How much praise do you think your king gets when the season of celebrating his arrival is met with his own people saying, I'm glad that's finally over. But I know why we say it. We say it because we get so busy during this time and we get so busy that we forget the first thing our God offers to each of us is rest. Can I tell you how to get rest in the Christmas season? By you understanding that your identity is not found in how pretty your house looks how nicely it's decorated, how straight and and, and how organized everything is. Your identity is not found in your home. Your identity is found in a home that is awaiting you, that has been prepared for you by someone else. That's rest. There's rest that awaits because... Your worth is not found in the gifts that you go out and the money that you spend that you give to other people hoping they will like what you give them. That's not your worth. Your worth is in the gift that has been given to you as 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He who was rich became poor for your sakes that you through his poverty might become rich. Your worth is in the gift Jesus. Not in the gifts you give. The greatest gift to be given this season is not one that comes through your hands, but to your hands. That's rest. But when we spend our lives trying to make everybody else around us happy with us, we are going to grow weary and tired, but just As your your minds are stretched and as your time goes out, hey, can I remind you, run back every single day. Run back to the understanding. Why are we celebrating this season? Are we celebrating this season because it's a time for parties? No, we're celebrating the season because the king has come. And that's great joy. And that's the rest that the gospel offers us. I want to keep going in Exodus chapter 35 because Moses, after he offers them this Sabbath rest, he gets to this offering. Should to look at verse number 4 with me? We're not going to read through much of it. We're just going to look at some repetitive themes throughout Exodus chapter 35. Verse number 4 of Exodus 35 says this. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what Yahweh has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for Yahweh, everyone who is willing is to bring to Yahweh an offering of gold, silver, and bronze. And from the end of verse 5 all the way through verse 9, Moses makes this list. If you have your Bible open, you can see there's this list of all these Things, these material things that are to be brought for the building of the tabernacle. It would be like saying, hey, we need two-by-fours and nails, and, and we need shingles, and we need plywood, and we need drywall. It's, it's, he's just gathering the materials. But I want you to notice the two uh, phrases that I highlighted behind me in verse number five. He says, from what you have, remember that, we'll come back to it, and everyone who is willing. Keep that in mind as well. We're going to come back to both of those phrases in just a moment. So he asks for these materials. And then if you skip down with me to verse number 10, Moses says, I need some help. All who are skilled among you, come and make everything Yahweh has commanded. So these skilled workers, they possess the, the talents and the abilities to make things. I love it. If you, if you actually look at the Hebrew word of the word make, it's the same Hebrew word that God uses when he creates the world. Right? So this is, again, that partnership of, of Yahweh. He created the world. Now Yahweh wants to partner with the creation of this tabernacle. And then all the way through verse, the end of verse 19 are all these different things that need to be or that that need to be made. And then join me in verse 20, if you would, as everyone leaves Moses' presence. It says, Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. So here's the list of materials. Here's the list of things that need to be made. And everybody scatters. And now check out this repetitive theme in these next few verses. Verse 21. And everyone who was willing... Now, now some translations might say everyone whose heart was willing or whose heart was stirred might say that. Everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to Yahweh for the work on the tent of meeting. That's a tabernacle. For all its service and for the sacred garments. Look at verse 22. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to Yahweh. Look at verse 26. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. I'm sure that was a lot of fun, spinning goat hair. Uh, In verse 29, all the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to Yahweh freewill offerings for all the work Yahweh through Moses had commanded them to do. There's this repeated use of the word willing, or like I said, it could be a willing heart or a stirred heart. Heart. But 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 hey, you gotta understand. Like we've gotta we've gotta step into this for just a moment and think about what's taking place. What seems to be indicated here is that God was not demanding a contribution from the people. He was inviting those who were willing into a partnership with Him. Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. That means. It's possible that some of the people who possessed the treasures that were needed or had the skills that were necessary for the tabernacle could simply ignore the invitation to bring their treasures and offer their skills. I read that and I'm like, that's that's a little bit... That's crazy. I, I think it's crazy on both sides that, that Yahweh wouldn't just say, I gave you everything, now you give it back to me, it if you're willing. But then I also think like, yeah, that, that means there were people who could have partnered, they're given this opportunity to partner in a divine and miraculous work in building a house for God. But instead they said, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep the treasures for myself and I'm gonna keep the time to myself. Like as I read that, I'll think like, a, like that's crazy. And I, I kinda wanna I kinda wanna wanna want to like, know. Like, did anybody actually say that or think that? But let's be real. I mean, if these Israelites are anything like Christians today, I mean, then for sure there were people who were like, no, I'll just I'll hang on to my time. I'll hang on to my stuff. Right? This, is, this isn't a dig, this is, just a, this is just a fact, right? Less than 20% of Christians regularly give to the kingdom of God through their local church. Less than 20%. You got to understand, we have, we have the opportunity to partner in this miraculous and divine work of building the kingdom of God. And there are many believers who just simply say, no, no I'm good. I'm good. Next Sunday, <clears throat> we're going to have this family with us. I know the guy, I know the gentleman, I've worked with him, and I was trying to, I told our oversight team a few, few weeks ago, I would love to, uh, to bring a missionary through our church family. And this gentleman, his name is Nate, his wife's name is Tara. They are, uh, crazy, huh, Nate and Tara, right, We'll have two of them next week. They, they are leaving in January to go to a third world nation called the Honduras. Like, this family is walking away from the American dream. Everything we're trying to gain, they're giving up. All because they want the gospel to reach the world. But here's the crazy thing that you need to know about most missionaries. Nate and Tara uh, spent some time in Peru. They were uh, for a couple of years in Peru. But before they left for the mission field, they had to buy a, a, like a conversion van and travel all around the country, it takes missionaries almost three years of visiting wealthy American churches before they find enough support to go with the gospel. You, that means there is a family that says, we will go tell people across the world about Jesus. We'll go now, but they can't leave for three more years. See, do I believe that American Christians want to see the gospel go global? I absolutely believe it. I'm not going to ask the question, but I think if I ask the question, how many of you in here want to see the gospel go, go global? Every one of you would raise your hand. And I don't know a Christian in the world who would not say, I don't, who would say, I don't want the gospel to go global. Every Christian wants the whole world to know. But I also believe most Christians don't make global missions a priority. And here's what what I really believe it kind of comes down to. That generosity is a matter of one's affection. Not a matter of one's possession. Like most of us would say, if I had more, I would give. But remember what Yahweh said at the beginning, from what you have. He's not looking for us to go outside of the means that we already have to support the work that he's trying to do. He's saying, I've already gifted you what you need. So from what you have, take and give. But, but if those words were so interesting, take from what you have, remember who Israel was just a couple of months prior? They were slaves. Do you know what possessions slaves have? None. So now he's saying, come bring gold and silver, bring the precious jewels. Where do slaves get gold and silver and precious jewels? If you know the story of the Exodus, as Egypt was leaving, God moved in the hearts of the Egyptians to give them their treasures as they were leaving. That means that everything Israel had had been given to them at the hand of God. And now Yahweh was asking them to freely or willingly give back to him what he had freely given to them. But here's the thing. We have to remember this about our God. He's not after our possessions. He doesn't need anything we have. He's after our affections. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. He doesn't care about our treasures. He cares about our hearts, but he says you'll find your heart where your treasure is. So you know. Because every one of us, every one of us in here, we view something as significant. We view some cause as great, and we give to those, we give our treasures to what we view as, as important. For some, it's sports. For some, it's clothes. For some, it's hunting. For some, it's food. For some other passions that we have. But I have this What if the church, man, come on. What if the church saw the Great Commission as our great passion? Wow. I really believe this. That if the church saw the Great Commission as their great passion, meaning if every believer were to say, I am passionate about the gospel reaching our community I'm passionate about the gospel reaching our world I really believe that the world would be shaken with the gospel I mean think about it if you were at work and and somebody said hey would you would you like to do this you say "Ah, you know what our family's saving right now so we can go on a missions trip that would shake somebody You're, you're gonna do what yeah, we're saving our money so we can go to another country so we can tell people about Jesus. Why would you do that? Oh, it's a great question. Let me tell you about my king. Or oh, what would you say if, hey, would you guys like to do? Oh, sorry, we're not going to be able to participate because we have a prayer meeting and we're going to be praying about reaching the world and our community with the gospel. You're going to what? you're going to go to a prayer meeting, not a party. I really believe that if we got passionate about following the commands of Christ, that this world, it would be shaken. But I, I I feel like we want things to happen, but we expect others to do it for us. How different would your family be if you sat them down to say, hey, you know what, we're... Uh, we're not going to, we're going to scale back our own Christmas this year because we're going to help a family in need. Now, I promise you, you're not going to have your kids look at you and go, yeah, that's a great idea, Dad. Like, they're not going to say that. But, but may I tell you, your responsibility as a parent is not to make your kids happy. Your responsibility as a parent is to get your kids to follow Jesus as one of his disciples. And if we are making disciples of Jesus who follow our king, and our king cares about the poor and the needy, we need to get our children to have a heart for the poor and the needy. And we do that not by giving them everything they want, but by turning their attention to people who are in need. And that's exactly what we see here. I'm going to show you something amazing in the next chapter. Look at Exodus chapter 36. These people had such willing hearts. Verse number 5. Exodus 36:5 5. And he said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work Yahweh commanded to be done. And then later in verse number 6. The end of verse 6, it says, And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. You get it? Moses is like, hey, I want you to go if you're willing, bring. And so much was being brought that he was told, like, Moses, we have too much stuff. Tell the people to stop. Now, that's amazing in itself. Tell the people to stop. Stop. But but here's what's even more amazing. These are the same people who 40 days earlier were bowing down to a golden calf. Wait, 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 wait. What, wait, 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 what happened that caused these people who were bowing down to a golden calf to suddenly give of their treasures so abundantly that they're like, we have too much. I think that question is easy. They recognize something. They recognize that Yahweh offered them forgiveness for their sin of idolatry and that He promised His continued presence with them in spite of their unfaithful actions. And when they recognized, this is what we deserve, and this is what we get from him, from this God. Oh yes, my affections are stirred because of what He has done for me. Ha! And guess what church? We have the same story today, right? Because of Jesus in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion and our unfaithful actions, like we have been forgiven. Ha! And we have been offered his continued presence within us as the Holy Spirit walks and dwells with us. Man, that should move our hearts. Because as our our hearts are recognizing the loving actions of Jesus, they will be stirred to loving actions for Jesus. My guess is, I know this is true in my life, when my heart begins to grow cold and distant from the Lord, it's because I have not rehearsed the story. So with Devin, it's like, well, well, you've said it to me a few times. Preaching the gospel to yourself every day. When you preach the gospel to your heart every day, you step back into the story, the story of who I am, what I deserve, who he is, what he has done on my behalf, that's when my heart is stirred again into loving actions for Jesus. The story always moves us. I don't know how many of you know uh, about this, but last year there was an NFL player on the Buffalo Bills. I think it was a Monday night, if I'm correct, but it was on national television. He got hit in the chest, and his heart stopped. He was taken to the hospital, carted off. It was a huge story. It was national news. In three days, in three days, over $6 million was raised on social media for this NFL player. You know why? Why? because people heard his story, and their hearts were moved, so their affections were stirred, and their possessions were offered. The gospel story should always move our heart to listen to how the Spirit asks us to move in the lives of others, and we should do it with joy. I want to point out one final aspect of God's character through the building of the tabernacle because I think this is really, really, this is just amazing. Again, it shows us like this, this insight into the character of God. That once the tabernacle was finished, all these willing people bringing their treasures and giving their, their skills, once the, the tabernacle was finished, it was for the entire camp, for the willing and the unwilling. Even for people who may not have brought their stuff, that tabernacle stood and the altar was for them. And the curtain that that kept the back the holy place from the Ark of the Covenant and everything else, that, that curtain was built for them. And the the presence of Yahweh that rested on the Ark of the Covenant, that Shekinah glory, it was for the willing and for the unwilling. What does that tell us about God's character? That God uses the willingness of obedient believers to bless everyone. Everyone means the willing and the unwilling, the obedient and the disobedient, Everyone gets to see a display of God's bountiful blessings. And as soon as I say that, I'm like, I hope that you understand that's why this church exists. Mm-hmm. This church does not exist. Only for the people sitting in this room. This church does not exist only for the willing people who have gathered on a Sunday morning. This church exists for the willing and those in this community who are unwilling, for the obedient Christian and the people in this community who are disobedient. Because how in the world are the people who don't gather ever going to hear about the glory of the God that we gather on his behalf? How are they ever going to hear about it if we don't become a light in this community today? To everyone, like as soon as I say that again, Matt, I go back to, to, to your, your kind and willing actions for Bobby. Bobby is so good to see you back here. That man has been coming to our church these last couple weeks specifically because there was a family in this church who reached out and cared for him in a time of need. That's why this church Exist, and there are people all over this community who need to see the love of Jesus shine—not just to us, but shine through us. I don't, I, I Kyler. Were you, a, you and Brenda, were you a part of Sunrise Chapel when this auditorium was built in 1970? Yeah, Van, were you? Van, were you a part of Sunrise Chapel when this auditorium was built in 1970? Is there anybody else in attendance here who was a part of Sunrise Chapel in 1970? So that means, of all the people who were gathered, three were here when this auditorium was built. That means we had nothing to do with this auditorium being built. How, How many of you came from Warsaw Community Church seven years ago? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine. Nine people came from a church in, in Warsaw that helped plant, and I think, if, I'm, if I heard this correctly, spend a quarter of a million dollars upgrading this facility. Which means a combined total of 12 people were apart, had any role in allowing today to happen Their willing and obedient hearts made it possible for us to gather today in worship of our King. Here's what we have to think about. Who is going to gather generations from now because of our willing and obedient hearts? Who's going to be able to point and say, hey, because of him, because of her, because of their willing and obedient hearts, we have a space where the presence of God comes to dwell and the Spirit of God meets us and we are able to gather with other... We have a responsibility, church, to the community around us, to the world outside of us, and to the people who aren't even born yet because in 1970, I was five years from being thought of. That means there's unborn kids who are depending on us to be obedient and willing disciples of Jesus today. And I please hope you understand this. I'm not standing up here trying to raise money for our church. It has nothing to do with our church. It has nothing to do with your money. It has everything to do with our willing and obedient hearts. Because he doesn't need our possessions. He's after our Affections. God doesn't need what we have, but He wants His disciples to reflect who He is to the world. He is a generous, giving, loving, joyful God who loves the evil and unwilling of this world. So, what I'd love for you to take away today is just to remind your heart and your family that every good thing in your life comes from the hand of God. Yes, you do this through your words, and your words are important, but also your works are important, right? Your kids aren't ignorant. They can hear you say all you want to how important Jesus is, but they also know where your true passions lie because they see your life. So we've got to be people, who not just say what, this is what we believe, but we live what we believe. But listen, listen. your family does not, I, 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 you're very welcome to, but your family does not need to participate in the angel tree of PCC, right? You don't have to, but may I beg you, do something with your family to care for someone else outside of your family that is, that is needy. I remember being in, in Ross, I think it was Ross, two years ago, standing in line, and my daughter was in front of me, when she had some some items in her hand. And I was like, "What? What are like? Those are way too small for you. What are you buying?" Of course, nowadays you never know. You know, uh, I said, "Those are way too small for you. What are you uh, What are you buying?" And she was buying gifts from for some person that needed help at Christmas, a child. Like, I, I'm telling you something as a parent. Like I couldn't be. I couldn't have been more proud. Like somehow somehow she saw beyond. And I was so glad. And that's exactly what our Father wants us to do. He wants us to look beyond ourselves. And when you encounter people whose hearts seem to be unwilling, right, we don't get upset with them. Like, hey, you know what? Hey, you should and I'm like, listen, the word willing means willing. It doesn't mean forced. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into anything. I'm trying to remind us who our Jesus is so that we could be more like him. That's all I'm trying to do. Right? We don't we don't we shouldn't say, "Hey, you know what? You need to do what I'm doing." No. No one needs to be more like Brian. Everyone needs to be more like Jesus. Right? And we just do that by following individually our king. And then we need to celebrate the willing obedience of Jesus by allowing his heart to be an example and a source for our own. We look at his heart and his willing obedience and say, that's my example. We look at his heart and his obedience, we say, that's going to be where I find the ability to be obedient, is by looking at the obedience of Jesus. I'm going to find my generosity by looking at the generosity of Jesus. And there's no greater way to do that than this. We look at that cross. And we are reminded that there was no greater act of willing obedience than that. And when we gaze into the cross of Christ and we gaze into the, to the juice that represents his blood and the bread that represents his broken body and we pause to simply say... Thank you, Jesus. We are reminding us of the story, not our story, but of his story in our lives. We are reminding our hearts of the story and our affections for Jesus should be stirred, which means as we leave today, our actions should be different for him. And so can I invite the men of our oversight team to be able to just to come stand next to one of these, uh, one of these tables. Uh, they're going to they're be there to help care for any needs that we have. And in just a moment, I'm going to read a couple, of, a couple of verses to us all before we take the Lord's Supper. After I read the verses, just so you know what we're going to do, I'm going to invite you to come take a cup. And a piece of bread. And if we start running out of cups, there's, there's more juice for the men to begin to pour for you. You can take a bread, take a cup. Please don't, don't, don't eat it. We're, we're going to do it together as a church family. But I would love for you to gather as a family or as a faith family, meaning like I don't want anybody standing together. And I'm going to invite you to, as a small group, whether it's a group of two or three or a group of six or seven or a group larger than that, I'm going to invite you to be in a group and I want you to pray. And I'd like one person to pray and give thanks for the bread and then we'll all take the bread together. Then I'm going to give you a chance to to again bow your heads and and give thanks for the blood of Jesus and then we'll all take the, the juice together. And then we'll close. A willing and obedient heart of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth and this is what he said about the Lord's Supper. of me. And then these last two verses are very important. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're we're talking about his story until he returns. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, those words are not meant to scare you. It's not meant to say, oh, I shouldn't take... No, it's just simply reminding you, don't take this without your mind understanding what these represent. Don't don't just haphazardly grab it and go, no, this is... And we're doing this. We're being purposeful, right? We're going to take time to remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Jesus. And I love it because we're remembering his death and then next week we turn and we begin to celebrate the arrival of his coming because the king has come. Good news. Father, as we enter...